0: But We have started a brief series just walking through uh, a philosophy of ministry. uh, Why we do what we do, how we do what we do. You've seen on the front of the bulletin that it talks about us being a church that wants to be liberated by grace. That grace should be that which sets us free and motivates everything in the Christian life. There's no other fuel that the Christian life can run on uh, that gives it life and health and joy. Like God's grace, we want to be a community that is liberated by grace and living lives fully committed to Christ. And in doing that, we want to lead others into a life-transforming encounter with Him. We want to be able to share Christ and the Gospel with the world. And so, as we do what we do as a church, what is it that helps us to accomplish that mission? That which we want to be as a community. Well, we want to worship, serve, and connect, and grow. These are the pieces of our philosophy of ministry, which really gives us a job description. What is it that you should be about that, that we all should be about in the life of the church? Is that we should be connected to and engaged in the worship life, serving, connecting, and growing in the life of the church. And everything that we offer and that we do in the, in the church as you read all the announcements of, of opportunities that are out there, that are like tracks uh, that, that the life of the church can run on. Uh, They're very deliberate, they're very thoughtful, they're very intentional in terms of taking us where we want to go. They're all general to the Christian life in one sense. There are ways that you can apply these things at home and and in the uh, world as the church is scattered and we're out there, but in this series we've been talking about them as they apply to the corporate life of the church. To us as the church, which is the assembly. The the word church literally means the assembled, the gathered. And so we're applying them for us in the life of the church. And as I moved this morning, last week we started talking about corporate worship. Which we said is the beating heart at the center of the life of the church. If you missed last week, I would encourage you to go back. All the sermons are online, going back years You can go back and listen to last week and catch the in this series, the the worship is the beating heart of the life of the church, That all that we do in the Christian life and, and in the life of this church, we hope flows out of a love and a worship for God that we share together. God's people are gathered and worshiping, and everything we do comes from there. And so, even as I move to speaking about, service in the life of the church, it's 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 really a sermon about love. (laughs) It's about love for Christ's church. Because Christ loves His church. And a lot of you, if you know some of my story and my own testimony and how I came to be where I am, and part of my testimony was that for many, many years I I was pursuing ministry and ministry training for anything except for work in the church. Anything except for being a pastor. And I would tell anybody that would listen that that was one thing I would never do. Who wants that job? Right? There are a lot of other things you can do. So I don't don't even have the right degrees. I have different degrees. I was going in a different direction. And what turned me around, the reason that I do what I do, is because I became convinced as I studied the Scripture and, and was preparing in seminary, that the church is God's idea. And that Christ loves His church. And then in the the Bible, well, you can talk about church with a capital C and it's all of God's people at all times. And you can. can. 98% of the references to church in the Bible refer to a gathered local congregation. To the church in Corinth. To the church. Christ loves His church. And so it becomes something that captures our hearts. We're in Matthew chapter 20. A fairly familiar story to to many of us. Starting in verse 20. Hear then God's Word. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Him with their sons. They came to Jesus with her sons. And kneeling before Him, she asked Him for something. And He said to her, What do you want? And she said, Say that these two sons of Mine are to sit on one at your right hand and one on your left hand in the kingdom. Jesus answered and said, "You don't know what you're asking. Are you guys able to drink the cup that I'm going to drink?" And they said to him, "We are able." And Jesus said to them, "You will drink my cup. But sit to sit at my right hand and to sit at my left hand is not mine to grant. It is for those to whom it has been prepared by my Father." And when the 10, the other 10 disciples, the apostles heard about it, they were indignant at the two brothers. And Jesus called them together and He said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles, they lorded over them. Their great ones loved to exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. It will not be so among you. You must, but whoever would be great among you, must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even so, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we have gathered again as Your people in the beating heart of Your church, which is when we are gathered and joined in Your worship. And to sit at Your feet And to hear You speak into the lives of Your people. And we long to hear Your voice. Oh, would You soften our hearts that we might hear it. Father, there are ways that we need to be convicted and other ways we need to be encouraged in the life of Your church and serving and pouring ourselves out for the things that have captured Your heart, that they might capture ours. These things we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we talk about serving in the life of the church, we're talking about being a called and a gathered people. I'm talking about it in light of the idea that we are the body of Christ. Again, the body is a gathered picture. A body that's been scattered is not much of a body. right? The body that is gathered, and He gives us this picture, this image, very deliberately, because King Jesus tells us that we belong together like a body does. That we're that connected and connectional. And that we need each other like the body needs its feet, and it needs its hands, and it needs its eyes, and it needs its ears. And so, we are meant to be together. We belong together. And in that sense, we need each other. That what He gives to us in His gifts, He gives to us, it says, for the common good. For the body. His church. And so part of our calling is to build up Christ's church to make it strong, to make it healthy, to make it effective, to be that instrument in His hand, His body, through which He advances His kingdom and preaches His gospel and does His work, meeting needs, serving in the lives of not only His people, but the community. We're called to this kind of service. And this kind of service is an attitude. It's something that we have to... In a sense, understand and embrace and take in as a a posture. It's a posture that we take an attitude of the heart towards Jesus, towards His church, towards His people and other people. It's a posture of humility, it's a posture of willingness, it's a posture of giving. And so, part of what I want us to consider this morning is what is your posture? Because in this text, Jesus tells us what his posture is. What his posture was when he came. What was his posture? Not to be served. See, that's a posture. If I'm in here and I'm expecting to be served, that's a posture. That's an attitude of the heart toward you. But if he's not here to be served, but to serve, that's a posture. That's an attitude of the heart. It's a way of being somewhere, a willingness to give. What is your posture? towards Jesus' church. Because service is the opposite of consumerism. And my friends, we, we eat, drink, and sleep consumerism. We live in the richest country in the world that is full of service to its people. One of the things that strikes you as you go to another country is just how few of the things that fill our lives and our time that we and our children and our families are consuming that most of the world doesn't have. We have so much. But service is, in many ways, the polar opposite of consumerism or self-centeredness. And that's where this story begins, isn't it? With mom and the boys, right? Aren't moms great? Moms are always advocates for their children, aren't we? Like, you know, you can do a lot of stuff, but you mess with my kids, and mama bear comes, right? It's, it's this... <clears throat> this uh, This fierceness that we have with our kids. This mom shows up, right? It's this. I'm not really sure how this went down. You know, did the boys go to mom and say, you know, mom, you, you know, would you, or did mom get them by the ears, kind of like, come with me? You know, we're going to Jesus. I got, you know, I don't know how it came about. But the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And she, and he said to her, "What is it that you want?" And she said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit at your right hand and at your left hand in the kingdom. She takes her boys to Jesus and she calls the eternal shotgun. Right? Shotgun for eternity. Shotgun, like, you know, for. You know that thing when you choose, you call, I don't know if you do shotgun, (laughs) you know? And that means I get the best seat in the car. That means I get to sit up front where I can see. I get to sit up front where I'm in charge of the radio and you know and the stuff. Like I get to be, it's it's the co-pilot. I I want that seat. I want the best seat. Jesus says something to the Pharisees about wanting the best seat. And you know, we often want the best seat when it comes down to it. We want it on Sunday morning. It just depends on where you think the best seat is. They want to be the kingdom's aristocracy. They want power and prestige. They want to sit in the seats of power and prestige and let everybody else have the lower the, the spots of service. They can be the doorkeepers. Right? Remember that? Psalm 84.10 I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. And not these guys. They're not interested in the doorkeeping job. Let the, you guys be the doorkeepers and you guys whatever. We want... Shotgun. I know no one here is posturing to be kings in heaven, to sit at the Lord's right hand, this kind of thing. I mean, maybe you know it's easy then to put it aside and say this is not something that it's not a posture we would take. But the reality is we we do, we do it every day. We don't necessarily do it as we're posturing for those seats in the kingdom. We're we're Americans and we're posturing for our own little kingdoms. Right? We're we're not even thinking about that kingdom very much right now because I'm way too busy lording it over my own. I'm way too busy taking the best seat in my house, right? And sometimes in this house. We posture to be lords of our own lives, lords of our own time and lords of our own money, right? To do what we want, right? Which is really what it comes down to. To be able to do what we want. Not what somebody else wants, and I'm not even talking here when I say do what we want. I'm not talking about sin per se. Uh, you know, I'm not even talking about that. We're we're not that. We're far we're far more in tune than that. This is far more subtle. It's more of a just wanting to seek first the kingdom of self and family. It's subtle, right? It's it's subtle, and it it it's the thing that rides in, and we all would never say it or do it, but when it comes right down to it. We posture. We seek first the kingdom of self and family and simply don't take quite seriously that call to seek first the kingdom, to build His church, to advance His kingdom instead of my own. Because service requires time and time is at a premium, my friends, especially in our culture that offers so much. There's so much to do. I don't have enough time to do all the stuff that I can do and that my kids can do. Time is more valuable than money now. I'll pay you money so I can have my time, so I can do what I want with my time. And service, before it asks for anything else, is a demand on your time. You will take that precious commodity of yours and do something not for yourself, but for somebody else. Leading a small group for other people takes time. Singing in the choir takes time and practice. Serving on the worship team, tutoring. Tuesdays and Thursdays, 3:30 to 5:30. Right? It takes time to pour your life out on behalf of children so that they might succeed in life and, and ultimately succeed eternally and come to know Christ. It's a commitment to pour ourselves out and to love the least of these. Making a meal for someone. I see those things come through my email box. We need meals, we need meals and watching. You know, as we, we seek to love the people in our church who are in need and who are going through things. To serve on the tech team. To serve and prepare the communion. To, and the list goes on. The list is long. I don't want to step on toes, but I'm going to. And before I'm done, I'll probably have stepped on almost everybody's toes. So forgive me already, but I'm, I'm going <clears> to <throat> go there because I was listening to a preacher on the radio last couple of weeks ago. Guy named James McDonald. Uh, he has a huge church, and he's one of those guys. If you listen to the radio, he's in that mix of get, you know. And he was preaching on on a topic similar to this one, and he talked about the the changes that have taken place in our culture around family and time. You know, because there was once upon a time when the church commitments, you know, the life of the church, being with God's people eating together as a people, serving together as a people, meeting each other's needs as a people, you know, in all the different ways that the life and the ministry of the church at one time had been at the center of, you know, you got to go back a ways into the 50s and the 60s, and you know, often we're looking at the, the times when life was simpler. And church was an important central thing in the life of God's people. And he's talking about how it has become a smaller slice. And now how the church... <clears throat> no longer holds the pride of place the way that it, that it used to. Is the way the Scripture seems to hold it. And it's gone from being, you know, and really what it competes with in the culture is the activities of, of family, of life and family. And all the opportunities that are out there for us. And they're innumerable. And we've gone from those things being rightfully important, because there was a generation where the family sometimes and our children could even almost be neglected. And he was saying how we've gone from a time from from that to a time where they've been rightfully important to make it to as many of those things as we can and to be involved in the lives of our kids, from, from all of that to becoming almost idolatrous. We live in a time when our children and their hobbies and our family trump everything. Everything. There was a time when a church activity or a time of church responsibility and, and opportunities in ministry would have trumped at least some of those times. But we move into a time when things have shifted from the center. He said he noticed a trend in the life of his church as people talked about church and they talked about Sunday. And he noticed a trend. He said that the people in his church and, and he, in, in the culture at large have gone from calling Sunday uh, the Lord's Day I encourage you to go back and listen to last week's sermon if you weren't here. going from calling Sunday the Lord's Day to calling it Family Day. And, going, and it's subtle. You know, it's subtle because all of us would say, I have always made Sunday a day where I prioritize spending time with my children. It was. And I think of all the things that we do on a Sunday, there's a place to prioritize our children. But there's a different thing than having a Family Day where I fit in a little church time than the Lord's Day on which one of those things that He might have me do is to make sure I invest in my family. But it's much bigger. Do you see the difference? Family day with the little church, and the Lord's day, which may encompass so many more things that He may demand of us. Let me step on some other and offend a a few more of you. Some of us have retired from serving. It's someone else's turn. It's another statement we hear in our culture. It's someone else's turn to make the church strong. It's someone else's turn to make it healthy. It's someone else's turn to make it effective. It's someone else's turn to meet those needs. It's a time where I'll show up, but someone else needs to do the work. And all I can tell you is I don't see this in the Bible. We have a culture of retirement. Retirement. Yeah, not a biblical idea. I think it's a fine idea. I hope to retire one day from my occupation. You know, and the occupation that we retire from, that which occupies us where we work in order to provide for ourselves until we die. You know, and there's that occupation, and we may culturally retire from our occupation, but the vocation of serving Christ and His church, I'm looking in the Scripture for retirement. I see people called to the ministry in their 80s and 90s in the, in, in the Bible. Right? And so there is this... You know, there are people in our church that I've seen on into to those years serving in so many ways without being asked, painting things and 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 working on the landscaping in, in the church and counting money or caring for the kitchen and doing this, that, and the other. And there's a the list goes on of things that just ways that they love Christ's church and have not graduated from serving her and causing her to be strong and healthy and successful and effective. What do we do with our time? Do we love Christ's church? The other ten disciples <clears throat> were indignant. They were indignant. How dare you guys claim the best seats in the house? <clears throat> How dare you guys leave us serving beneath you? Right? That's the sense of it. You guys have claimed the top seats and you left us down here. You know We're just the sorry people. Right? We're just those who serve, <clears throat> who get to serve the rest, to stay beneath you. And He says this is the way it is. The rulers of the Gentiles, they love to lord it over. They love to place themselves above others. It's the way of the world. The great ones love authority. But Jesus says it is those who don't know God who treat other, others this way. Who live for themselves. Whose kingdom is turned in. And Jesus says, not so with you. Not My people. Not My body. My body is a body that is meant to be together for the common good, for the health and life of all. Jesus says we need to be like Him. You know, it is fascinating to me as you see Jesus walk through the pages of Scripture and His life on earth. Jesus, who, was the God, who is God, Who sat and now sits on the throne of heaven, who is the creator of all things, who is Lord of the universe, who is master, whom the angels worship even now, who says, My posture is that I've come to serve. Right? Isn't it? It's an amazing thing. I mean, it's something you need to spend a week on our knees thinking about. What does it mean for this one to say, My posture among you? is one who has come to serve. You remember John 13? The image, the picture of this that is so powerful. John 13 is when they're in the upper room and, and nobody had done the foot washing. Because everybody wants the best seats and nobody's going to do that job. right? Do the dishes, wash the feet, do the things that just need to be done because they need to be done. That's a servant's job. And here Jesus, whose feet had not been washed, no one chose to serve Christ in it. The disciples feeling they are above This kind of thing. And Jesus gets down on His hands and knees. And this is something to behold. The Son of the living God. King Jesus. On His knees. Have you ever gotten on your knees in front of somebody? Deliberately humbling yourself? Whether to ask forgiveness, or maybe to ask for for marriage, or... uh, But do you ever get on your knees before someone? The the position you are placing yourself in when, when they're not, they're sitting or they're standing, and you get on your knees before them to wash their feet or to do something for them. Can you imagine Christ, Lord of the universe, Son of the living God, saying, I'm here to serve, I'm among you as a servant. Feet need to be washed. I'll do it. I'm your guy. I'm among you as one who serves. And then when he stands up after having done it, he says this, do you understand what I've done? I don't think we do. At least sometimes. At least me. I don't think I always understand because... I battle with that kingdom of self and loving Christ's church and that that tension that lives between them. And he says, do you understand what I've done for you? You also should do as I have done for you. To wash one another's feet. Oh, what does that mean? To be like Jesus. You should do what I have done as I have humbled myself in the willing place of a servant, and got on my knees before You, and did that which needed to be done, to see my people clean and strong. To love His church. We're talking about loving His church. That's what I'm talking about. In Ephesians 5.29, Jesus says, No one ever hated his own flesh. And I love my body. And He nourishes and cherishes it just like Christ does His church. Christ loves His church. He's nourishing and He's cherishing it. And the Scripture again and again calls us and says we are that church. And we are to love and to nourish His body. 1 Corinthians 14.12 He says, since you've been eager for manifestations of the Spirit, gifts of the Spirit, strive to excel with those in building up the church. Right, He says, my love for the church is your love for the church. Right? My goal is to build up and strengthen the life of my church. And he says, our goal in all the gifts that he gives us is the building up of the church. Ephesians 4, verse 12, Paul's talking about the role of pastors and teachers and why they do what they do in teaching and equipping the saints for the work of ministry. Why? To build up the body of Christ. And so my plea for this morning, and even for myself as I preach to my own heart and remembering why I do what I do, I need vision. And I need passion. And what I need, just as I needed when I felt the call into the ministry I still need today and you still need today, which is a vision of that the church is Christ's idea. And that He loves His church and that He's building it up. And it is central to His purposes on the earth. And so our love for Christ is a love for His church. Galatians 6.10 says, So then as we have opportunity to do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith, to the church, to the people of Christ. James, John, Peter, Jude, Paul, they all open their letters saying this, we are servants of Christ and his church as he write they write to the church. Colossians 1 Paul says, "I do all these things for the sake of his body, which is the church, and I have become its servant. second Corinthians four he Paul's again writing and he says, we don't preach ourselves, but we preach Jesus Christ is the Lord, we are his servants and so Because we're His servants and He is the Lord, we preach ourselves as your servants for His sake. And for the sake of the Gospel and of the Kingdom. Jesus was among us as one who serves. Who did not live for Himself, but He lived and died for others. It is hard to do as we think about a philosophy of ministry of worship and serve and connect and grow. When it's your, in a sense your job description as much as it is is my job description. And what does that look like? And I'm going to say, just to remind in, in two quick areas as I end, and one is I want to apply it to marriage. I don't want to leave without doing that, because for me, strong marriages make strong churches. Healthy marriages make for healthy churches. Because you are the building block, so to speak. And so just to encourage you, I know that many marriages struggle because we're in it for ourselves. Because often in our marriages, our great concern is me. We worry about our own happiness. We worry about our goals and our priorities. We worry about our way and our our time. We worry about our needs, my needs. And just as Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. And I think in our marriages it is true as well. We are not in it. To be served. We are in it to serve and to give ourselves away to another human being and to learn what it means to be like Christ. And our marriages is one of the first places that we practice that. To deny ourselves. Right By definition, a servant's time is not their own. Often that's what we're fighting for in our marriage. My time. My whatever. And their will is not their own. Right? The the whole definition of a servant is they do somebody else's will. And their, time on, and their time is not their own. That's what a servant is. So in our marriages, we resist rearranging our lives and denying ourselves to sacrifice to meet the needs of the other. And I would just ask you, are you in your marriage as one who has come to serve? It's a posture. It's an attitude of the heart. It's a Jesus posture. But are you also in Christ's church as a consumer or as a servant? With the Kennedys, I'd ask that question. Ask not what my church has done for me, but ask what I have done for Christ and His church. And let me end with just this last picture because I think it's the most important picture as we think about serving. Otherwise, this has come down like a hammer of a law and leave us thinking, "What do I got to do?" Or he's, you know, and it's not that at all. It's this. You remember the picture that I brought up of John 13, and there's Peter um, and all the apostles. With Jesus at their feet, washing their feet. And Peter is so uncomfortable. And you can imagine, if I got down at your feet and started, I mean, there's a level you'd have to like get over to, like, to let him do it. Right? But here's Jesus doing it. And Peter, he gets to Peter, and Peter, he's, uh, he's the guy who's going to say it. You know, you're not washing my feet. You're Jesus. You're the rabbi. You're not my feet, Lord. You will not wash me. You will not serve me. Jesus' answer to to, to Peter is, unless I wash you, unless you let me serve you, you have no part of me. And we have no part of Him. We we have no part in the service and the life of the church until, until we have surrendered ourselves to the washing of Christ. To His service to us. That Jesus has come and borne our sin in His own body on the cross. That He died the death that we deserve to die. That He sets us free from our sin and from our guilt. And He sets us free from having to work like slaves in that sense. He sets us free so that our service is not a burdensome chore, but a fruit of the Spirit. A labor of love. A response of grace. A life joyfully surrendered. Galatians 5.13, Paul is writing to the church in Galatia and he writes and he says, my brothers, you were called to freedom. Do you know that? Church of Christ, you were called to freedom. But then he says this, as he talks about that calling to freedom, and what does that calling look like? Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, that is to serve yourself. But rather, through love, serve one another. Freedom in Christ to which we are called, he says, is the same thing as pouring ourselves out on behalf of others. It's love. Love to Christ. Love to His church. Love to His people. Oh, we were called to a freedom. We are free to love. Free to serve. Free to be like Jesus. Pray with me. Father in Heaven, even as we hear this Word and we see from Your Word in so many ways and in so many places, that You are calling us to involvement in Your Kingdom, in Your church, in the life of Your people. You are calling us to surrender our time and our gifts to the service of the things that are dear to Your heart. You're calling us to say no to ourselves and yes to Jesus. You're calling us to seek first Your kingdom. Oh, but Father, it comes. This is a hard word. Because there's so much that we delight in. It's like cutting off our right hand or plucking out our right eye to deny ourselves and to start doing for others. Help us. Come and fill us with Your Spirit. Strengthen us by Your grace and lead us into a life that is everlasting. A life that is full of Your Spirit and Your posture. Your heart for Your people. That we might honor You in the way that we are among the church as those who have come to serve.